What I'd like to do tonight is to uh, talk about membership just a little bit. Again, because the last two membership classes that we've had, we've had almost 65 people come through the last two membership classes, uh, which is more than, that's probably about two years worth of, of people in previous years. And so there's a huge influx of new people as we've sent people out. That's the way these things work. And so since there's so much changeover, uh, I really thought it might be a good idea to talk about just what the implications of, of membership in, in Redeemer Winter Haven really are. And so one of the things I did for the membership class, of course, many of you have been through this, but in years past, and so it's a new addition I thought it would be good for us to do tonight. If you remember the old Dave Letterman shows, his top ten lists. And Jonathan suggested that we have somebody on the drums to do the, you know, as we do it. We're not going to go that far tonight or anything. But what I've done is I've come up with, if you think about the five membership vows that we take, uh, what would be a top ten list of what it would mean for us to, to take seriously those vows? What would be the ten things uh, that would be most important for us to try to, uh, to, try to be faithful uh, to what we've promised to one another in, in these vows? So there you see the top, you see the five vows there. Uh, vow number one, do you acknowledge yourself to be a sinner in the sight of God, justly deserving his displeasure and without hope saving save his sovereign mercy? Vow number two, do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Son of God and Savior of sinners, and do you receive and rest upon him alone for salvation as he's offered to you in the gospel? Vow three, do you now resolve and promise and humble reliance upon the grace of the Holy Spirit that you will endeavor to live as becomes the followers of Christ? Vow number four, do you promise to support the church in its worship and work to the best of your ability? And vow number five, do you submit yourself to the government and the discipline of the church, and do you promise to study its purity and its peace? Now these are... These are vows that we, we get from our denominational um, book of church order. These are not specific necessarily to our church. It is interesting, though, if you're new here, uh, that we do think of membership in this way, that we take vows of membership to one another. Uh, and that's maybe another topic for another night. Uh, but I, I just say that to say, that the, you know, we take this very, very seriously. There's something, there's something about in a marriage, it's good for a man and a woman to stand up in front of a a crowd of witnesses and make vows to one another and how that supports and sustains them in their relationship with one another. And in the same way, uh, there's a formality to our relationship with one another as we church together that is sustained by these vows. And so we take it very seriously. But, you know, there may be some question as to what exactly it might mean to, to stay um, faithful to the vows that we've taken to one another. And so Thus my top ten, okay? And these are just the things that I came up with. So let's just, let's just walk through. I'm going to hope, hope to spend about, you know, two or three, four, five minutes in some cases on these. So here are my, here are my ten. And the first one is, you know, taking those five vows uh, of membership that I just said, the first one is what, what would it mean that we would do? And first I would tell you one of the first things it would mean that you would commit to doing is that you would commit to reading your Bible. Uh, we, we have initiated a, a Bible reading program called Community Bible Reading. We're committed to reading the scriptures daily. We're committed to reading the scriptures together daily uh, because sanctification is a community project. And I spent all of our last vision dinner talking about that, so I'm not going to say anything more about that tonight. But just to know that part of what these vows call us to is committing ourselves to reading the scriptures as we live in community together. Number two on our top 10 list, not, not only read the Bible, but the second thing I would tell you is uh, I think part of what the vows call you to do is just show up, to just show up. And you see there in my description, doing less better. We really are trying to, to do that. We're trying to not be a church that fills your calendar 
with just things to do every week, every weekend, all the time, constantly. We're, except for April, Jonathan. What I mean, yeah. We didn't. We didn't succeed in that in April. Uh, we're trying, and we really are. No, I mean, and we really are uh, on as a staff trying to repent of that. We're trying to look at the calendar and be very, very careful about that because uh, we want to do less, but we want to do less things better. We really do. We really are committed to um, avoiding cluttering the calendar with events for lots of different reasons. Primarily because we. Be- we believe that you should have a church outside, that you should have a life outside of the church. I'm going to talk about that more in a minute, but the church should not be your life. If it becomes your life, then we become a Christian ghetto and we become ineffective in the world. We need to be out in the places that God has called us and not just here. And uh, the momentum of, of American evangelical Christianity is more and more to just fill the, the calendar with things. So we're going to schedule less events. Uh, and, and that's going to be frustrating to people. It is frustrating to hear about that, but there's a reason for doing that. And so if we're committed to scheduling less things and to doing those, those things better, then when we put something on the calendar, can I submit to you that it would be really important that you be there? It, we, I promise you, I'm, I give my word to you, we will not do something and ask you to come if we don't think it's worth your time to come. I promise. We are not going to do things just for the sake of doing them. So if we're going to do them... We really feel like uh, it, it would be worth your time to come. Things like corporate worship, of course, and community group and vision dinner like tonight and corporate prayer, which both of those things only happen quarterly now. The Gospel in the Heart seminar we just did. Listen, in November, we're having a Gospel in the World seminar. Richard Pratt, who is my seminary professor, and Jeff's and Jonathan's and Joe. Oh, man, I'm sorry, Joe. Joe didn't have the privilege of having Richard in class. He is, um, he is, probably Brandon had him too, but... I mean, he is phenomenal. I mean, he is a world-class speaker, uh, runs a worldwide discipleship seminary training ministry that literally goes all over the world, and he's coming here, and we should have 5,000 people wanting to come hear him talk. So please, let's not have 50. Right? Let's show up to these things. Uh, the discipline of the church is not negative and reactive. When we talk about submitting yourself to the discipline of the church it's it's positive and proactive discipline is a is a lifestyle a proactive lifestyle of certain habits and practices that promote health you know we were talking the other day and a lot of times people larger churches particularly talk about you know in the church you just need to create a buffet for people you need to like have a big spread and let people come and get whatever they want to i don't know about you i have a real problem with with buffets they're not typically they don't you know i eat too much Anybody, just me? Okay, good. Just good to know. I eat too much, and then the other thing that I do is I only eat the things I like. I don't eat things that are good for me. So if I go to a buffet, I find that it really doesn't, it really doesn't do much for me as far as promoting my health. Uh, you don't need the church. You don't need the church to provide a buffet for you. You need the church to provide a nutrition plan for you. And, that, and that's really what we want to do. We want to put good things in front of you that will promote your health and not just a bunch of things that you can pick and choose because we're just not wise enough to do that well most of the time anyway and so when we do things please show up i think your vows obligate you to show up of course in order to show up you've got to prioritize prioritize things on your calendar Uh, and i and i want to be careful it's not sinful to miss a meeting of course that happens but to fail to prioritize events uh, i think it's it's not only a violation of the vows, but it's unwise. I mean, the scripture warns, doesn't it? It says, do not neglect the assembling of yourselves together. It's to your own spiritual harm if you do that. 
And so show up. Thirdly, so the third, number three, read the Bible, show up. Number three, be relationally proactive. I think the vows obligate us to this. Be relationally proactive. And as a general principle, I would point, I would point you to uh, Luke chapter 6, verses 37 and 38. Let me read it to you. Be relationally proactive. Here's what Luke says. I know this is like drinking from a fire hydrant tonight, but bear with me. We're just trying to get all of this to you. Here's, here's Luke, Luke 6. Jesus says, Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. In other words, what, what Jesus is saying is, is if you, if you um, want to receive forgiveness from other people, you have to be a person who's forgiving. If you want to benefit from the generosity of others, you first have to be a person that is generous. If you want kindness, if you, want, if you, if you know you need kindness from people, be a person who's kind. Because if you go around judging everybody, guess what you're going to get? They're going to judge, judge you right back. And if you fail to show kindness to people, it's, it, the, the way the human heart works is, is, it, is it creates unkindness in return. And so I think this vow, you know, means you, you take responsibility for your relationships in the church. You know, you don't, we, we refuse to act like consumers. We don't look, you know, we don't look for community, but we commit ourselves to building community by committing ourselves to love. Paul Miller taught me that. And there are all kinds of challenges uh, to this. I mean, social media is a real problem here because all the time on social media is coming across, oh, look, they're all, they all went to dinner and they didn't invite me. Don't act like it doesn't happen. It does all the time, right? It happens to me. I mean, I literally, I had to, a couple of days ago, I had to stop because I, I literally, I, too much time on Facebook and I feel like I don't have any friends. Nobody asks me to do anything. Like, everybody's out there having fun. They're all at the ballpark together, you know, whatever, whatever the case might be. You know, you have all of these things. And then there's issues of proximity. I mean, people, you know, the, you know, we live far away from one another at times. Some of you don't even live in Winter Haven. And I know for the people who are in this church and live in Bartow or live, you know, in Lake Wales or live up in Four Corners or whatever the case might be, there's challenges to really finding the kind of relational connectedness that we're meant to have with one another. And so what you have to do is you have to be intentional. You have to be proactive. You have to choose. You have to put your love on somebody. You have to call and then call back again and again and again until they answer. I mean, I, I, I was thinking today, I have, I have a couple of friendships. I was thinking of one in particular where I've had lunch with this guy 15 times, I figured out, in the last six months. And all 15 of those lunches have been because I called him. He's not once called me and asked me to lunch. Now, that's not a pity party. I'm saying that's what you have to do sometimes. That's what you have to do sometimes. You have to push your way into people's lives. Otherwise, it won't happen. And love is uneven. I mean, that's just the reality of how these things work. And so the people who find community are those who create it. I mean, if you look on Facebook and you see a group of friends out to dinner, I guarantee you it's because somebody in that group started with love. Somebody just said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to love here. And then they invited other people to join them, and that's how that happens. So be that someone. That's the solution. Be that someone. When you feel like an outsider, it's not because something is wrong. Of course something is wrong, right? We live in a sinful world. Sin is, alienates us from one another. It's centripetal in its, in its effects, right? That's a given. Of course something's going to be wrong. Things are always going to be wrong between us. 
And, you know, and so if, if that's what we're up against, then we have to, we have to choose. But if, if, if it feels like something's wrong, it's also not that you've not been chosen. Listen, Ephesians 1, 4 says he chose you in him before the foundations of the world. Here's the thing, and it's the hardest thing, I think, that if you feel like you're on the outside, if you feel like everybody else is in on something you're not, it probably is because you've not yet chosen. You know, you, you've not yet said, I'm going to put my love on these people here. I think a great illustration of that is Ruth to her mother-in-law, Naomi. Never in the history of the world has a, has a daughter-in-law turned to her mother-in-law and said, wherever you go, that's where I'm going to go. Right? Wherever you lie, that's where I'm going to lie. Your God's going to be my God. Your people are going to be my I am putting my, I'm putting, I'm attaching myself to you with super glue. And nothing's going to tear me away. And so you have to be proactive like that. And I think the vows really, the vows call you to do that. They really do. But the fourth thing is, number four, are you with me still? Everybody awake? We good? The fourth thing I think these vows obligate us to do is in these relationships with one another that we always confess our sins instead of, instead of criticizing. Or, you know, let me say it this way. I'm going to, I'll expand on this just a little bit, but you look in at yourself before you look out at others, but you always look up the most. Do you see how I put that there? Vow number one is, do you know you're a sinner? And so if that's true, then you know what that means. To be in the club, you have to admit you're a screw-up. Which means every single relationship that we have with one another in the church is under the understanding that you're a screw-up and I'm a screw-up. Does that make sense? I mean, that's kind of like just the, the, the umbrella under which all of the things that we do with one another really exist. And if that's, if that's the case, then confession always comes before confrontation. It's always the first step. Remember, this is what Jesus says, right? When you see a speck in your brother's eye, what do you got to do first? Tell me. You take the log out of your own eye first, right? You take it out first. He does, and then he says, and then you, can, then you can talk to your brother about the speck in his eye, but the first thing you have to do is you have to take the log out of your own before you can take the speck out of his. So confession is always the first step. In church, like marriage, what it does Especially if you commit and you stand up for a long time. Church, just like marriage, brings you into confrontation with yourself. The problem is, is that it's easy for us in the middle of feeling these things to think that the, that the confrontation is with this pastor or this person or this group, or whatever the case might be. But the nature of coming together in intimate community with one another, just like in marriage, is that the confrontation is really a confrontation you're having with yourself. And so if there's a problem... I think the vows would call us to the default that you always, wherever you find a problem, you always go to work on you. Luther said all of life is repentance, and if that's true, then we have to be continually repenting. And I would tell you, as the pastor, that the leaders of this church strive to be the chief repenters because we believe that's what these vows call us to be. So, number four, confess your sins, don't criticize. But number five, as I put it here, is... But that doesn't mean we don't, uh, we don't speak the truth in love. Number five is speak the truth in love. Compassionate confrontation is a mark of true community. So community void of conflict is actually pseudo-community, right? We talk about this a lot. Pseudo-community is defined by conflict avoidance. So conflict isn't a failure of community. It's the doorway to true community. The problem is, is most people never experience true community because what happens is, is when when they, they, you know, you have, this, you have this initial experience of pseudo-community. Everything's great, everybody likes one another, and then it starts to get hard. And when it gets hard, what's actually happening is you are transitioning from fake community to real community. But what most people do when it gets hard, what do you think they do? They leave. They leave at the very moment when they're about to really experience what genuine community is. 
And they go, and where do they go? They go to another pseudo-community. And they just bounce around. And that's a real problem. So the very thing that we, that we sometimes are tempted to think is a failure of community is actually the doorway to true community. And Ephesians 4, 15 and 16 couldn't be any clearer. I wish we had time. I thought about making this a series of sermons, and we might get there one day. But in Ephesians 4, 15 and 16, it, it could not be any clearer what Paul says. Paul's talking about the body of Christ, the church, being built up and... Um, and everybody, everybody being held together and every joint equipped when every part is working properly and the body is growing up and building itself up in love. And, and he says the only way, the only way that happens is if we're committed to speaking the truth and love to one another. The only way. So parakaleo one another, exhort one another, encourage one another. And we got to get out of our mind. I got in big trouble. I, I, um, <laughs> I preached at the chapel at my kid's school um, a few months ago, and I was talking about this Pericaleo stuff, and I just, I the, it was the high school, and I told the cheerleaders how bad I felt for them because I'd been to a football game not long before, and those cheerleaders, like, man, they give their heart and soul to that stuff, and nobody pays any attention to what they're doing. Have you ever noticed this? Most of the time, like, they're like, give me a, you know, M, and everybody's kind of like, you know, not even, and I said, I just feel bad for you guys, and I got in trouble with the cheerleaders for saying that. I, I insulted them. I didn't mean to. I was trying to you know, tell them, you know, I appreciate what you do. <laughs> but, but I think, you know, when we think parakaleo and encourage, we think, we think cheerleader, rah-rah, you know, let's do it. And I think, I think there's a whole lot less cheerleader in that and a whole lot more drill instructor. I go, to, I, go to, I go to a place that's, you could call it CrossFit, but it's really cross, CrossFit for old, broken-down, fat people. So I don't know that it really counts. You know? <laughs> And so it's really true. And so, you know, they have the people there and they're yelling at you, come on, five more push-ups, you can do it. You know, and I really resent those people. Um, but I need them because they, I really do, they make me better. They make me do things I wouldn't otherwise do. And I really think the pericaleo, you know, the encouragement of one another, encourage, encourage has a whole lot more, whole lot more of that and a whole lot less uh, Hallmark card in it. So we need to speak the truth in love to one another. But number six, we're almost there. Turn the page. Number six, in my top ten of things that, that these vows would call us to do is to invest. Give of your time and talents and treasures. I mean, the church, the church, uh, well, let's just talk about those for a minute. Your time, I mean, we've already talked about a time investment. Your talent, we believe uh, that if you're in Christ, he has outfitted you with gifts that are for the sake of the body, and you should be using those gifts as eagerly as you could. I mean, the scripture is very clear. If you have the gift of administration, you need to use it. If you have the gift of teaching, you need to be teaching. If you have, you know, if you have the gift of encouragement, you need to have a ministry of encouragement. You need to be fruitful in the gifts that God has given you in the church. But not only with your talents, your time and your talents, but also with your treasures. I mean, you think we have a scholarship committee here that gives out thirty-something thousand dollars worth of scholarships to seminary students, which Jeff benefited from, and which Joe benefited from, and which. Brandon benefited from, right? Even before we knew him. Even before Brandon was here, we were scholarshipping him to seminary. How cool is that? We have this scholarship thing. We have Renew Polk, which is trying to plant 20 churches in 20 years. Uh, we have Heart for Winter Haven and Brad, what he's doing there, uh, and all of these different things going on. If we had $5 million gifted to us, we'd find ways to spend it. 
And not on more and more staff and bigger and nicer buildings, but towards real multiplying ministry in our city and beyond. I mean, so we need to give. We need to invest everything we have because the mission is bigger than, than anything. But here's the thing. Do you see how I say this here? The church is, is a bottom-up, not a top-down organization. And I say this a lot, but I wanted to reiterate it again. Your job is not to help me or Jonathan or Jeff or whoever it might be with our ministry. Our job is to help you with yours. I mean, every single person, every single person in the room needs a ministry, and we, we are not called to do the ministry. We are called to equip you for the doing of the ministry, right? This is basic, Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4, and so invest. Find, find something to, to give yourself to. The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Think about the kids just in this church. Ashley should never have to beg people to be on this, this children's ministry schedule. Moms and dads. Dads, you can be in there too. You should be in there. Every elder in our church, I hope they're listening to this. Every elder in our church ought to be serving over there. That's the future. Now, I can't. I was at a church one time. i got to tell you this story. I was at a, I've threatened to do this, but I've been, I've been shot down every time. I was at a church one time where the pastor stood up and said, we need, it was like in the middle of the service, we need 10 people in the children's ministry thing right now or... I, you have 30 seconds, and then I'm coming down off the pulpit and, and going. It was awesome. We were like, holy cow. People got up, right? So, you know, short of something like that. What's that? Absolutely. They were gone because they, you know, because they, so we, we should all, you know, whatever we have to do, whatever we have to do for the sake of the harvest that God has given, given to us, the laborers are few, so be a laborer. Seventh, in that, in that light, become a leader. But look what I've said here for the sake of ministry outside the church. Here's what we need to do. We need to reimagine the church. The church is the training ground for ministry, not the opportunity for ministry. Do you know what I mean by that? Church is the training ground for ministry, not the opportunity for ministry. The church is a city on a hill. And the thing about a city on the hill is, is everything, if you think about the metaphor of a city on a hill, from everything is kind of coming out of that city and funneling down into the surrounding areas of that city. The church is not, should not be a drain. You know, like a sink drain, right? Everything just kind of funnels down into it more and more. We have to have the right metaphor for, for church. The church is a staging area. You know what a staging area is? It's where all of the, the weapons and the armory and the, and the vehicles and everything is all, you know, gathered before you set out on the mission. And we have to have the right metaphor for pastors. Pastors and leaders are quartermasters. Like in the James Bond movie. Remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago? That's what we are. We're the guys that have all the trinkets. Right, Jonathan? There you go. You know, we are the ones that are to outfit the ones going on on ministry with the things that they need to be successful there. So the church should not be your life. It should be where you come to be trained to live your life. So start a ministry, but start a ministry outside the church. Now that sounds counterintuitive. But when I say be a leader, that means know, know you're here to be trained. And act, and act, you know, and, and act toward the church as if you desperately need the training that it's offering for the sake of what God has called you to, even if it's outside the church. And hopefully it is in some cases outside the church. I need to finish. Number eight. Number eight in our top ten. Be an evangelist where you live, work, and play. Wherever you find yourself, you've not been thrown there. You've been sent there, so be there on purpose. So strategically pursue relationships with people outside the church. Our mission is to reach unchurched people with the gospel.
please hear me. To do that, we have to be at church less and out in the world with unchurched people more. That's, that's what's brilliant about a church plant. And it's harder and harder for us. And this is why we're trying to minimize the calendar to keep us from becoming a spiritual ghetto. So those three, edo, those three areas, where you live, that's in your neighborhood, you know, where you work, your job, and where you play. And for most of us, that's kids and hobbies and so forth. So, but here's the irony is the further you get into the church, the harder it is to do this. I mean, think about me. Think about me for just a minute. Okay, where I work, well, I mean, where I live, well, the, I mean, I live, you know, I live in, in this neighborhood right back here, like seven-tenths of a mile behind the church, and I think probably a third of the neighborhood already goes to our church. Amen. Yeah, yeah, thanks, Dawson. And where I work, where do I work? Well, dang, I work here. I'm trying to evangelize Joe, I mean, you know, as much as I can, and Brandon, and these guys. But you see, you see, so where our greatest fruitfulness has been uh, with, with where we play, with our kids, with sports teams and these kinds of things. But for you, hopefully it's a lot easier. Pray for me. Pray for me. Do you realize, I mean, it's harder and harder for me to find myself strategically engaged with non-Christian people. That's a problem. It's a problem for me that we are, I mean, that we, we talk about and we're trying to figure out. But we got we to gotta solve that problem. Where do you work? Where do you live? Where do you work? Where do you play? Be an evangelist there. That's how you help us with this mission. That's what, that's what it means to support the church in, it, in its worship and its work, to be missionaries in the places that God has sent you. Number nine, number nine, make your leaders worthy of being followed. Churches make pastors. Now, this is different than just saying submit to your leadership. The Bible calls us beyond that. Hebrews 13, 11, or 13 17 says the church can cause a pastor to do his job with joy or to do it with groaning, and it's to the church's advantage that it be a joy to him. And so make your pastors, make your leaders, make your community group leaders, make your deacons, make spiritual leadership great. Pray for them, remember them, be mindful of them, write notes of encouragement to them, honor them, respect them. They're not employees. They're spiritual mothers and fathers. Correct them. Make them great. Speak the truth to them, too. So it's more than just follow, you know, submit yourself to the, the government, to the discipline of the church. Make those men and women that labor over you in the Lord worthy of being followed. And lastly, number 10, and I'll wrap it up. Uh, stay when it gets hard. Stay when it gets hard. Uh, people leaving is really hard on me. It's part of my story, you know, of my childhood. Um, and I used to think that uh, it, it felt as painful as it does because it, it was an indictment. You know, in other words, somebody, you know, somebody leaving is the equivalent of saying you failed. I'm going to go to find somebody else who will do for me what you didn't do. And, and that's painful enough. But it's easier to pass off, at least for me, because let's be honest, people are demanding and, and unreasonable. Um, I've become more aware of this throughout the years, but the pain hasn't gone away, and I think I know why, and I think it's because the solution to sin's corrupting influence, please hear what I'm about to say, that the, the solution to sin's corrupting influence on our relationship is what I've already said, to choose one another. And so when somebody leaves, in effect, they're saying, you know what, I don't choose you. I'm not going to fight for this with you. And that is a deeper hurt. Uh, I know something's wrong with me, Okay. I don't need to be reminded of that. What I need is for somebody, a friend, who will push towards me in my brokenness and not push back away from it, to choose me in my brokenness, to look at me and say, you're a mess. 
and I'm a mess. And this is going to be hard, but let's be a mess together. I'm committed to you no matter, no matter what. I need somebody to experience my brokenness and stay and not leave because of it. That is redemptive. It's the doorway to all these things we're talking about. It happens when our brokenness and our sin is not an excuse to leave, but the most compelling reason we have to stay together. You hear that? When our brokenness and our sin is not the reason, an excuse to leave, but the most compelling reason to stay. And the irony is that the solution to most of our problems is not a change in circumstances, but it's character. It's not a new situation, but a new you. And here's the thing. The only way to get a new you is for you to stay put. That's the truth. And so love, love endures all things. Love hopes all things. Love believes all things. Love, love never fails. And love never, never quits. So there are my top ten. Read the Bible. Show up. Be relationally proactive. Confess your sins. Don't criticize. Speak the truth in love. Invest. Become a leader. Be an evangelist where you live, work, and play. Make your leaders men worthy of being followed. And stay when it gets hard. I hope that was an encouragement to you. Hopefully we can work these things out together in the years to come. Let's, let's pray and we'll, be, we'll close. Father, make this true of us. May we be, may we be men and women of, of, of our word uh, in keeping these vows that you've given us uh, to, to, to give to one another. Uh, come, Holy Spirit, and work this in us that we might be a genuine community of faith and repentance, uh, that we might reflect your beauty in the way we love one another, uh, that the world might see and come to know you as a result. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.